Despite the title, A Pelican at Blandings, the central character of this charming tale of multiple romance and bumps in the night, as of so many of the Blandings novels, is Lord Emsworth's pig, the Empress. The pelican for the uninitiated is a club. Anyway, we'll resume the tale at the point where Lord Emsworth is suffering from unaccustomed wakefulness because he was consumed with worry about the Empress. You need only know, in addition, that the Duke of Dunstable is staying, as foretold by Connie, at the castle, and that he occupies the garden suite on the ground floor. Although, as he had told Vanessa, since the sinister affair of the rejected potato, Mr. Banks, the veterinary surgeon, had several times assured Lord Emsworth that the noble animal was in mid-season form and concern on his part quite unnecessary, he was still as uneasy as ever. Admitted that Mr. Banks was a recognised expert whose skill in his profession had won golden opinions from all sorts of men, he might for once have been mistaken. Alternatively, he might have discerned symptoms of some wasting sickness and not wanting to cause him anxiety had kept it from him. These speculations made him wakeful, and when at length he did doze off, conditions were in no way improved. Sleep, so widely publicised as knitting up the raveled sleeve of care, merely brought a nightmare of the most disturbing kind. He dreamt that he had gone to the sty, eagerly anticipating the usual feast for the eyes, and there before him had stood a lean, streamlined empress, her ribs clearly defined, and her whole aspect that of a pig which had been in hard training for weeks, the sort of pig that climbs Matterhorns and wins the annual stock exchange walk from London to Brighton. The shock woke him, but he did not follow his normal practice of blinking once or twice and falling asleep again. He rose, put on dressing gown and slippers, and took a torch from the drawer where it nestled among his socks and handkerchiefs. He had to go and reassure himself that the horror he had beheld had been but a dream. In a less preoccupied mood, he might, on arriving at the front door, have been surprised to find it unbolted, but in his anxious state the phenomenon made no impression on him, and he went on his way unheeding. It was more as a sort of concession to the lateness of the hour than because he needed his light to guide him that he switched on the torch. When he did so, he instantly became the centre of attraction to a rowdy mob of those gnats, moths and beetles which collect in gangs and stay up late in the rural districts. They appeared to have been waiting for a congenial comrade to come along and give a fillip to their nocturnal revels, and nothing could have been more hearty than the welcome they gave him. He was swallowing his sixth gnat as he reached the sty and paused, filling his lungs with its familiar scent. The night was very still. From somewhere in the distance came faintly the sound of a belated car as it rounded a corner on the Shrewsbury Road, while nearer at hand he could hear a sotto voce something which might have been the hoot of the white or possibly the brown owl. But from the sty, not so much as a grunt, and for a moment this deepened his uneasiness. Then reason told him that at such hour grunts were hardly to be expected. 
to Galahad, whose formative years had been passed at the Pelican Club. This might be early evening, but it was far too late for a well-adjusted pig like the Empress to be up and about and grunting. She would, of course, be getting her eight hours in her covered shed. An imperious urge swept over him to take one look at her, and he made no attempt to resist it. To mount the rail was with him, as the phrase goes, the work of an instant. To slip, overbalance, catch his foot on the rail and fall face downward in the mud, the work of another instant. Feeling damp, but not discouraged, he rose and came without further misadventure to journey's end, where a fascinating sight rewarded his perseverance. Stretched on her bed of straw and breathing gently through the nose, the Empress was enjoying her usual health-giving slumber, and a glance was enough to tell him how wide of the mark his dream had been. For three years in succession she had been awarded a silver medal in the Fat Pigs class, at the annual Shropshire Agricultural Show, and it was plain that had she been entered for the contest again at this moment, the cry, the winner and still champion, would have been on every judge's lips. Julius Caesar, who liked to have men, and presumably pigs, about him that were fat, would have welcomed her without hesitation to his personal entourage. It was with a mind darkened by nameless fears that the ninth earl had embarked on this expedition, but it was in buoyant mood that he returned. That glimpse of the Empress, brief though it had been, had had the most invigorating effect on his morale. All, he felt, was for the best in this best of all possible worlds, and it was only when he reached the house that he was compelled to modify this view in one respect. All would have been for the best in this best of all possible worlds, if somebody in his absence had not bolted the front door. The thought of what Connie would have to say if roused from her slumbers by shouts in the night paralysed Lord Emsworth. He stood there congealed. The impression prevailing among the gnats, moths and beetles which had accompanied him on the home stretch was that he had been turned into a pillar of salt and it came as a great surprise to them when at the end of perhaps five minutes he moved and stirred and seemed to feel the rush of life along his keel. It had suddenly occurred to him that on a warm night like this the Duke was sure to have left the French window of the garden suite open. And while Lord Emsworth would have been the last person to claim to be an acrobat and the first person to confess his inability to do anything so agile as climbing water pipes to second-story bedrooms, he did consider himself capable of walking through an open French window. With the feeling that the happy ending was only moments away, he rounded the house, and there, just as he had anticipated, was the garden suite with its window as hospitably open as any window could be. It drew him like a magnet. It had also, though of this he was not aware, exercised a similar attraction for one of the cats, which lived in the stables by day and wandered hither and thither at night. Inquisitive, as is the way with cats, it had been intrigued by the open window and wanted to ascertain what lay beyond it. At the moment when Lord Emsworth tiptoed across the threshold, it was investigating one of the Duke's shoes. 
which had been left on the floor, are not finding much in it to arrest the attention of a pleasure seeker. Lord Emsworth's legs arriving suddenly beside it seemed to offer much more in the way of entertainment, lending, as it were, the human touch. They had a peculiar scent, but thought the cat rather attractive, and being of an affection nature it always liked to have a man to rub itself against. Abandoning the shoe it applied its head to Lord Emsworth's dressing gown with a quick thrusting movement, and Lord Emsworth filled with much the same emotions as had gripped him in his boyhood when a playful schoolmate creeping up behind him in the street had tooted a motor horn in his immediate rear, executed one of those sideways leaps which Nijinsky used to be so good at in his prime. It was followed by the sort of crash an active bull might have produced if let loose in a china shop. It will be remembered that Lady Constance, having learned from the Duke that he proposed to occupy the garden suite, had hastened thither to make sure that everything in it would be just as he liked it. Among the things that she had thought he would like was a pie-crust table containing on its surface a clock, a bowl of roses, another bowl holding potpourri, a calendar, an ashtray, and a photograph of James Schoonmaker and herself in their wedding finery. It was with this that Lord Emsworth had collided as he made his entrechat, causing the welkin to ring as described. It had scarcely ceased to ring when lights flashed on, revealing the Duke in lemon-coloured pyjamas with a purple stripe. The Duke of Dunstable, though pop-eyed and far too heavily moustached for most tastes, was no poltroon. Many men, made aware that their privacy had been invaded by nocturnal marauders, would have pulled the sheets over their heads and lain, hoping that if they kept quiet the fellows would go away. But he was made of sterner stuff. He prided himself on being a man who stood no nonsense from anyone, and he was certainly not proposing to stand it from a lot of blasted burglars who got up in formal games of football outside his bedroom door. Arming himself for want of a better weapon with a bottle which had contained mineral water, he burst upon the scene with the animation of an Assyrian coming down like a wolf on the fold. And there was Lord Emsworth. His militant spirit was offended by the anticlimax. He had come all keyed up to bean a bevy of burglars with his bottle, and there were no burglars to bean, only his host with a weak smile on his face. He was particularly irked by Lord Emsworth's weak smile, taken in conjunction with the fact that the latter had wandered into his room at one in the morning, apparent with the object of dancing passeul in the dark. It confirmed the impression he had already formed that the man was potty. Lord Emsworth, though he would have been glad to let the whole thing drop, could not but feel that a word of explanation was called for and that it was for him to open the conversation. It was, he thought, for though vague he had his code, only civil. Smiling another weak smile, he said, oh, Good evening, Alaric. The greeting was unfortunately phrased. 
even a colloquial hi or hello there would have had a better chance of mollifying the Duke. It was in no kindly spirit that he replied, Good evening? What do you mean, good evening? It's the middle of the blasted night. What the devil are you doing here? Something had told Lord Emsworth that this interview might prove to be a difficult one, and it was plain to him that that something had known what it was talking about. I was just passing through to my room. I'm afraid I disturbed you, Alaric. Of course you disturbed me. I'm sorry, I upset a table. It was quite inadvertent. I was startled by the cat. What cat? I see no cat. Lord Emsworth peered about him with a vague stare which had so often exasperated his sisters Constance, Dora, Charlotte, Hermione and Julia. It took him rather longer than the Duke could have wished to discern the catlessness of the room. It must have gone. If it was ever there. Oh, it was there. So you say. During these exchanges, the Duke, with some idea of picking up the table, the clock, the bowl, the other bowl, the ashtray, the calendar, and the wedding photograph of Lady Constance and her mate, had approached nearer to his visitor, and as he did so, the feeling he had had for some time that it was a little close in here became accentuated. He halted, sniffed, and made an interesting discovery. Emsworth, he said. You smell to heaven. Lord Emsworth, too, had been conscious of an aroma. Just a suspicion of the scent of new-mown hay, he would have said. You've been rolling in something. Enlightenment came to Lord Emsworth. Oh, yes, 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 quite. I fell in the sty, Alaric. You did what? I'd gone to see the Empress, and I tripped and fell in the sty. It was a little muddy. From the very start of this conversation, the Duke had been blowing at his moustache at frequent intervals, but never with the vigour which this statement provoked. He sent it shooting up now as if his aim was to loosen it from its foundations. It has not been stated in this chronicle that he had large outstanding ears, rather like the handles of a Greek amphora. We mention them at this juncture because he was feeling that he could not believe them. It was in an almost awed voice that he said, You went to see that foul pig of yours at this time of night. It naturally pained Lord Emsworth to hear the three-time silver medalist at the Shropshire Agricultural Show so described, but he was in no position to protest. That was how I came to be in your room, Alaric. I was locked out. Your window was open. The Duke was still wrestling with the facts placed before him and trying to make some sense of them. Why did you go and see your foul pigger this time of night? Lord Emsworth was able to answer that. I had a dream about her. I dreamt she had been slimming. <laughs> <laughs>